What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. All welcome back in, and we are ready for a huge, unified, light heavyweight showdown this weekend in New York City. We are back to preview that and talk about much more news of the week, and also a world champion on the podcast as well. I am merely the somewhat capable host. He is our insider, our content partner, BigFightWeekend.com. Welcome back, Dan Rayfield, a champion in his own regard. He is back aboard here on the Preview Podcast. Have you had a good week? How you feeling? Feeling good and super pumped up for that light heavyweight fight you mentioned. I'm going to New York to, to be ringside for that fight. I'll be writing about it for the Big Fight Weekend, and I can't wait. Totally right. and and, and this one, this one again, big guys throwing big punches, including uh, the Russian Artur Bedabiev, who uh, has been a, a knockout machine. Joe Smith, a great story, and he's going to have some following there in New York. So there's a lot of intrigue. Again, preview of that a little bit later on. Uh, again, a, a world champion in Jesse Bam Rodriguez, who Dan talked to this week. You'll hear that interview coming up forthwith straight ahead. Hang in here. On the podcast, again, however you found us, social media link, Big Fight Weekend website, Dan Substack, and his newsletter as well, the Fight Freaks Unite Substack. However you found us, make sure that you're following or subscribing to this feed. We come your way Fridays with the preview, usually out in the morning, certainly by the middle of Friday. And then uh, we come back in with a Fight Freaks Unite recap off the weekend. You get those automatically. If you're following or subscribing, you'll get notified. You'll get a, a, a light, a ding. Uh, a vibration of the phone, of the iPad, whatever, that'll let you know we've got a new one up whenever that is the case. Uh, also on the program just before this one, we talked a lot of heavyweights with Sean from TopHeavyweights.com. They've partnered with us as well on Big Fight Weekend. So Sean and I go over a bunch of intensive stuff with different heavyweights with the win last week by Daniel Dubois. What does that mean? Uh, what, what's going to happen with Usyk and Joshua? Dan and I are talking about that in a moment. But the top heavyweights... Uh, podcast is on this feed as well and you can hear that latest episode right behind us so all right uh, let's get into it Uh, I I guess let's begin with the WBC heavyweight champion Tyson Fury we heard from him this weekend we did not get clarity on really a lot other than he okay he's not (laughs) retired we knew that what is he doing next we don't know is it an undisputed fight with the winner of Usyk and Joshua we still don't know that Dan what what did you make of Fury appearing on that video conferencing call on the YouTube page of Frank Warren. What did you make of all that? I made that he was getting a haircut. I think he was maybe a little bored because he hasn't been the center of attention for the past couple of months. It's been about, you know, six weeks, I guess, uh, a little less than two months since his knockout victory against Dillian White to retain the title, uh, you know, that big 94,000 person crowd and huge amount of attention. And, you know, the attention hasn't been there for a few minutes. And so I think Tyson Fury, uh, whatever he says, he misses that. And uh, why not stir things up? So get a haircut and have your promoter set up a, a YouTube video with uh, with you on the video and your promoter on the chair and the and the and the, the PR person that works with Frank handling the interview. You know, when the PR person's doing the interview, you know, I'm not expecting hard hitting kind of yes. questions. You sort of let Tyson say what he wants to say, which is fine. That has a place. I'm not I'm not knocking the hustle. But the gist of this long interview uh, was that I'm coming back. I don't need the money, but I'm coming back. But if I do come back, you got to show me the money. (laughs) No kidding. So Tyson Fury not retiring is like the biggest non-story maybe in the history of boxing, in the history of sports. Because as I have said, uh, even though you report it when it's happening, because that's what the man is saying, you know, you have to have a certain element of skepticism for a number of reasons. And, uh, you know, as he said, I'm, I'm coming back, but I have to be paid well. Well, obviously, you have to be paid well. You're the heavyweight champion of the world. You draw big crowds. You draw pay-per-views. And, you know, we'll see him. Whether it's the winner of the Fury and Usyk fight that takes place in August, you know, who the heck knows? We all hope it is. 
but I don't understand what other fight there would be he, that would. He said, get "I'm coming back to a ring." So does it mean a wrestling ring, which again, don't snicker, Big Fight Weekend audience. He did come participate in a wrestling pay-per-view about a year and a half ago for Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Entertainment. Uh, he suggested in the Wembley ring that Francis Ngannou, the UFC champion, could be an opponent. We don't believe, you and I have never believed that's an MMA fight in an octagon. That no. might be in a boxing ring, but he did hint, I'm coming back to a ring and we'll have an announcement. Is it an exhibition? Is he fighting Listen, like a bear from the circus? We don't know, Dan Rayfield. Is no, this is, to me, this is pretty, pretty straightforward. He's going to do another fight. In, at some point in the future, I do actually think it's possible that he could fight in Ganu or some other you know, MMA type of star in a boxing match they talked about at the time when he did the interview after the Dillian White fight about some sort of hybrid gloves or something, whatever. The end result, in my view, is that he's the heavyweight champ of the world. He's still in his prime. He's going to fight a real proper, as the Brits would say, a proper fight. And ideally, <laughs> it will be against the winner of that fight because there is no other opponent that the public would really be I mean, no, he would sell, but not to the level of the money he wants to make. The only sure. fight that exists for the money that he wants to make is the winner of Usyk versus Joshua. So that means, you know, he's not fighting a fourth fight with Deontay Wilder. He just knocked out Dillian White. You know, Andy Ruiz is probably fighting Luis Ortiz later in the summer. You know, the, a lot of other guys are not available or they don't make sense, whatever, whatever. The, it's Joshua versus Usyk winner. Let's, let's get on with it. It's not a bear from the circus, as I said. So we'll see what he ends up doing, uh, Fury, and what that announcement will be and when that will be. That kind of segues. The talks continue. There is no official announcement as we release the podcast right now on Usyk Joshua. You have reported previously August either 13th or 20th. It looks no. like August 20th. You said August 20th. It is August I have 20th, reported. we think. I have reported August 20th. That's what I am told. That's what it, if it appears to be like. The fact that it's going to be in Saudi Arabia uh, has never been disputed by Matchroom or by Usyk's people or by Joshua. Uh, that's always been where they've been looking to do this fight. I know they had other venues that were in the mix, supposedly. That could have just been negotiating ploys to get them to raise the amount of money. Uh, they did the Andy Ruiz rematch with AJ in Saudi Arabia. And this is going to be there also. I mean, you know, I have mixed feelings about that. You know, we can talk about the human rights record. You've seen what's going on with the, the PGA tour and the live golf uh, mm -hmm. people that have taken uh, the dirty money from the Saudis. Um, you know, I have, I have issues with that. I said it before the Andy Ruiz fight, um, but it's not my life. It's not my decision. Uh, people can watch or, or take it however they want. But uh, you know, I get that boxing is a short career and you have to make the money, but a fight like that's going to make a huge amount of money no matter where it is. Are you dubious that this could be prolonged into September? Because we're still, even with August 20th, you're within two months right now as we release this podcast without an official announcement. We haven't done, I mean, do you still believe we're still good for August or are you I, dubious right now? I'm skeptical that we may delay into September with this thing. I mean, I'm not sure why that would be the case. I think that August seems reasonable. What it does is it also, I mean, again, the reasons why it's being delayed, whether it's finalizing the deal, getting the venue situation squared away, but it's actually good for Joshua. I know he's been off since the loss in September of last year, so it won't even be a year. And when you're talking about big time heavyweight boxing, 11 months between fights is really not a big deal these days. So that's the first thing. The second thing is because he just made the official move to start training with Robert Garcia, uh, who my understanding is there, uh, you know, in the UK working with AJ, it really just gives them a 30 more days roughly to, to do their work together going from uh, the proposal date of late July into uh, the late August date. So uh, having an extra month to work with your new trainer is a good thing. So, but I think that it feels like that will be what happens, but look, you know, who knows, man, it's, it's, it's Saudi Arabia. It's, it's heavyweight boxing. It's, it's matchroom. It's Eddie. You know, you never know what, what they got uh, going on behind the scenes. But uh, I'm hopeful that we'll see the rematch come August. That'll make for a very big event, you know, in the late summer, which is yeah, typically true. not the a heavy, moment. The heavyweights are different. We keep talking yeah. about that. The heavyweights are different after off the Dubois win last weekend. And speaking of that, let's just stay with the same kind of theme here. The, the, the Joe Joyce fight now is not going to be against Joseph Parker in July. Dan, give us the update because – uh, Queensbury Promotions made that announcement on Thursday as we released the podcast here. Different opponent at the O2 Arena in early July for the unbeaten Joyce, 
who is, again, waiting to try to get in the mix for a heavyweight title shot. Go ahead, Dan. Well, number one, Joyce is sitting there as a mandatory in the WBO, so he's not going to just go inactive because he is in a situation just waiting for the Usyk uh, and, and Joshua rematch to play out and then potentially may have to wait even longer should Tyson Fury fight that winner. Uh, but Joe Joyce, you know, he's got he's secured the position, but again, he's not going to just not fight. So uh, Frank Warren has the great hopes of making a match between uh, Joe Joyce uh, and, and Parker. I'm not so sure that that is going to take place because Parker just did a deal with Sky Sports and Boxer in the UK. Now they're on opposite broadcasters and, and, and separate promoters. So maybe that won't actually take place. But in any event, uh, you know, as a stay busy fight uh, on July 2nd, you'll see Joe Joyce uh, fighting against Christian Hammer, who is, you know, experienced, been in a lot of guys. Um, you know, he's fought Tyson Fury. He's fought, you know, Pavetkin. He's fought Luis Ortiz, fought Tony Yoka. Uh, Huey Fury. I mean, he's been, he's a very experienced guy. Uh, he'll lose, but he'll give a game effort. He'll give him some rounds probably. And a professional uh, opponent. Is that a, a polite way to say it? He's kind of been a professional opponent. He's been the opponent no, listen, across from the other guy. He, he is a professional opponent, but that's not, in my opinion, calling somebody a professional opponent is not a negative. He's a competent heavyweight. He'll, he gives an effort. You wouldn't keep getting those types of opponents if you didn't show up. He doesn't necessarily have the talent level to win those fights most of the time, but that doesn't mean he can't provide some entertainment for the paying viewers and the crowd. Keep in mind, this fight is not on uh, the card as the main event. It's underneath uh, the Cunningham Tete fight for the Commonwealth title. So, you know, it's just another bonus on that show, which from, from uh, Queensbury is a good looking card, but I mean, I have to see Joe Joyce get back in the ring and, and uh, keep the chains moving until he gets his uh, well-deserved world title opportunity. Voice of Dan Raphael, love his insight, part of our Big Fight Weekend preview. Again, we're previewing Better Bev and Smith a little bit later on in the podcast. Jesse Bam Rodriguez in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Dan coming up in just a few moments. Before we get there, a couple of other news items. By the way, let's back up to earlier in the week. Uh, Jermel Charlo, undisputed at 154 pounds. It may not be uh, guaranteed... I'll use that phrase, that he's fighting Tim Zhu next. Tim Zhu of Australia, big star in Australia, is the WBO number one contender. But you wrote about this this week. You learned about this. The IBF mandatory is saying, hey, uh, what about me waiting here for the better part of a year and a half or two years? Dan, fill us in a little more on that, please. Well, exactly. So the WBO announced uh, that they had ordered the fight between uh, Charlo and Tim Zhu. Tim Zhu had come to America, fought on Showtime in the main event, he had uh, stepped aside, so to speak, instead of forcing the issue to allow the Charlo Castaño undisputed fight to be rescheduled. And many people just thought, OK, that's the next fight. And then when the WBO ordered the fight, they were said, OK, order by a certain, you know, make a deal by a certain date. It'll be a purse bid. And then supposedly there were reports that the two sides had made a deal, which uh, I am told is true. They have made a deal. The problem is that they did not take into account the fact that Bakram who has been the mandatory for the IBF for two years, had made a deal already with Charlo and had stepped aside, had appeared on undercards of his, um, all part of the plan to allow him to fight before they had to have the mandatory. They were happy to take the extra fights to make the money, but at some point they want their shot. Now that the undisputed situation has been clarified and now he's going on to other defenses, they want their opportunity. And they have a signed document from uh, the Charlo side, including Charlo acknowledging all of the particulars about what was the next fight for him. And it seems pretty clear that the WBO either a was not aware of that, which is possible or B just said, screw them, which I don't <laughs> think, it's, I don't think. And then uh, to their, uh, my experience with the WBO is that's not how they operate. The WBA may go tell them to go fuck themselves, but the WBO is not like that. So I think that they just didn't really know my opinion. And so it seems very clear uh, that he has a, an agreement to fight Bakram in the mandatory. And, and we'll have to see how that proceeds. Obviously, Showtime is going to have a say in the matter since they're televising uh, those fights. But I'm pretty sure that they were aware of Bakram's position since he was on all these undercards that Showtime was televising in the main of event. Course. So. You know, they'll if they'll put on. But you know what? You know how this works. You've done this for a long time. I've watched it covered this as well for a long time. It's the bigger money fight is the zoo fight. So are we leading to the logical? They pay Bakram fairly well, and then he would be next against the winner. Is that where we're headed? No, do I don't think? think that's the case. I think they've already done that. They've done the step asides. I think the bottom line is this: Charlo, if you want, you know, 
based on the paperwork that I reported on that I saw that's in the story that I put uh, that we put on Big Fight Weekend, he can't vacate the title right now. That that window is closed. So, you know, sometimes you can just vacate and let the guy go fight for the vacant title. But that's not the situation based on the way that paperwork reads, that if Charlo is uh, fighting, you know, and he's he's obligated to defend against Bakram, period. End of story. That seems to be the way we're running. Now, I see absolutely no reason why Charlo can't. If he's and he has said many times he's not moving up to, to the middleweight division. There's no big mega fight there in the middleweight division for him. The Tim Zhu fight is a nice fight. Don't get me or you know, he's not moving up to the middleweight division. Uh the zoo fight's a nice fight. I like that fight, don't get me wrong. But it's not like it's a must-see, has to be next, the world is waiting kind of situation. Fulfill your promise, fulfill your obligation, give the mandatory shot to Bakram like you signed for, like you your team has paid him to step aside. If you win that fight. You go fight Tim Zoo. That's the next mandatory, I think. And therefore, you're 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 keeping the chains moving. You're fighting these fights. You're retaining your titles if you win, and waiting for some other mega fight to materialize. All right. And in the case of Zoo, though, he brings millions of eyeballs from Australia, and some will buy the pay per view. Uh, there will be some serious revenue probably from an Australian pay per view angle on that. We'll see how that comes out, and we look forward to more reporting on that from you. All right, a couple of more, and then we're getting to the Bam Rodriguez interview here in just a second. Virgil Ortiz is officially back. Golden Boy announced this. You reported it about a month ago. An August return for the unbeaten welterweight had a rare uh, condition where uh, it, blood flow was slowed down from an injury and, and potentially serious condition, if not fatal condition, that has sidelined him for months now. So it's good that Virgil Ortiz has a date uh, to get back in the ring coming up. Golden Boy made that official announcement. That's coming in August now in about six, seven weeks, right? Yeah, he's there. When when he had the blood situation, it forced him to withdraw from the fight that was supposed to be against Michael McKinson from uh, England. And when Virgil pulled out, uh, they, they tried uh, to find various opponents for McKinson. They finally found somebody. The card went on. Uh, obviously, it was a disappointing night because usually when that case happens, it's not it's not the, the unknown B side that takes over as the A side, if you will, and the main event stays. They usually postpone the whole show. But, you know, I'm glad they didn't postpone the show because it's not fair to the boxers that put in the training time that are also on the card. Um, there were still people that turned out in terms of buying tickets and all. Uh, and so they put the event on. It may not have been the perfect situation. McKinson uh, got his fight in. Uh, and Golden Boy tried to – they weren't going to do their – they weren't going to reschedule the McKinson fight. They were hoping to do a fight between Virgil – and David Avanesian, who is, uh, you know, a, a quality contender from uh, from Russia, lives in the UK, uh, probably best known, it seems to me, for having uh, sent Shane Mosley into retirement uh, several years ago with a victory. But he's fought some some quality opponents. And from what the Golden Boy people say, and I've, I've reached out to the Avanesian side, but have not heard back from anybody. Uh, but the Golden Boy people say they had a deal made. They had agreed to the terms. The contracts were exchanged. They were ready to go. And then at the last minute, the Avanesian side, which is Frank Lauren, changed their terms of what they were seeking, never <laughs> signed the contract, didn't send it back, and got to a point where they just couldn't wait any longer. If you're going to line up an August 6th fight, you got to get the, you know, get the thing done. So when they couldn't work that out, they went back to McKinson, and they made that deal, and that fight was announced today. And it'll take place in Fort Worth, Texas, which is right outside of uh, you know, where, where Virgil was from Grand Prairie, Texas, is from. He'll have a hometown crowd there, and uh, he'll, he'll fight a fight. And, and hopefully uh, it'll be a good one, and we'll see what happens. He's a great young fighter, and uh, just want to see him get back in the ring, be healthy, and put on some entertaining matches. And he's obviously one of the stars of the Golden Boy stable that they want back in there. They want to try to get him into the welterweight title mix if they can. Good luck with the whole Golden Boy feud with PBC, with, with, with what's been going on. But the first step is get back in the ring and get a win. All right, Dan, as we've been mentioning, one guy that will be in the ring, not this weekend, but next weekend in San Antonio, Texas, is the guy that is the youngest world champion right now in boxing, Jesse Bam Rodriguez. He's got a world title fight on the matchroom, a quadruple header of big time fights that is coming next Saturday as we release this podcast. Let's get more into that conversation, Dan's one-on-one -on -one with Bam Rodriguez. Jesse, you have a title defense coming up on uh, next week, Saturday, June 25th, in your hometown of San Antonio, and you're not exactly taking on a soft touch for your first defense. You're taking on the very veteran, former champion, outstanding, uh, longtime pound-for-pound type of guy, Srisiket Sarangvisai. So first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for doing this. How are you doing today? Yes, sir. Uh, of course. Appreciate you having me. Um, I'm doing very well today, and how about yourself? I'm doing just great. Uh, 
First of all, I must ask, just in general terms, how excited are you just to be able to make your first defense and to be able to do it in front of your hometown in San Antonio? Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm so excited. Well, you know, when I got the when I got the call about fighting Rungvisai in San Antonio, I had no hesitation, and it was a yes right away from me and my team. And you know, I'm just ready to go. When you won the title back in February, it was you know it wasn't like this was a long planned out type of fight, uh, but you became the youngest active champion. You, you you fought Carlos Quadras, a very veteran former champion himself, who was fought Sarong Visai in the past, and and actually uh, uh, you know is part of that group of of the great foursome I call them anyway: Quadras, yeah. Sarong Visai, Roman uh, Chocolatito Gonzalez, and Juan Francisco Estrada. But you you dropped him with a beautiful uppercut in the third round. You won the decision. Uh, you became the youngest active champion in boxing. Uh, what was that like for you? And and I actually was wondering, did, were you? aware that had you won that fight that indeed you would become the youngest active champion in the sport no i, I didn't even know until i actually won the title and you know I, I went on social media and that's that's when i had found out but you know as far as that fight it, it was it was a crazy experience overall you know i was i was given the opportunity six days before the fight so i mean it was everything like happened happened so fast and i mean i'm, I'm just blessed that i was given the opportunity now, besides becoming the youngest champion in the sport currently, and this made me feel old, uh, you became you became the first fighter born in the two thousands to win a title. Did you know that? And what do you think about that? That there's going to be a lot of champions that come uh, in the future and have already had that opportunity that were born in the two thousands. Uh, you're the first one. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Um, that that's something that goes down in the history books. So when people look back and to see who the first world champion was born in the 2000s, my name will always be there, and, you know, no one can take that away from me. Yeah, that that was uh, that kind of blew my mind because uh, I started covering yeah. boxing in uh, the year 2000, so that makes me feel old. Oh, thank <laughs> you very much. Uh, oh, in all seriousness, back to your fight. Uh, when you took the fight, you mentioned you took it on six days' notice. You were supposed to originally be on the undercard uh, of that fight uh, uh, um, on that night, and so you were, you were prepared to fight, obviously, but yes. you had to change opponents, so... What was that mentality like for you? you? Had to go through that situation and and uh, and make the switch, you know, at the last minute, and obviously taking a very a very big leap up in the level of opponent you were going to be facing that night. Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, it, it was just a crazy experience. I was going to fight a ten round fight at um, one ten, so I got the call to fight Carlos Guadalajara at one fifteen. It, it was just, it was, you know, it was a shock. But uh, like you said, I was already in camp, I was already training, I was ready for a, for a fight. So. I mean, I couldn't let the opportunity pass. It was a world title shot against a against a well known name in Carlos Cuadras. Now he was supposed to fight Sarung beside that that night in a rematch of their fight from several several years earlier. You beat Quadras, and now you're fighting Sarung beside. Um, I wonder, did you have you ever gone back and looked at their fight? I mean, it was a number of years ago, and it was a technical decision and kind of a messy kind of fight. Um, but do you do you ever take a look at that? Um, I've seen like a, a little part of it, but I, I've never seen the whole thing. Uh, but it's, I don't think it really has a whole lot to do with uh, what you're going to be facing Saturday. Uh, Quadras uh, is a, is a, you know, was a veteran, like I said. And Sarungvisai, though, I think most people would view him as even a tougher opponent than Quadras. Is that your viewpoint? Because he's got some big wins. He's been a champion, uh, you know, before, longer uh, in terms of the, the length of time that he reigned than, than, uh, than Quadras did. Uh, just give me your, your general thoughts about taking on Srisic at Sarungvisai. Um, as far as comparing the, the two opponents, I, I feel like um, Rungwisai is a tougher opponent just because of the power he carries, but I also feel like he's been in some more wars in Cuadras, so I feel like, you know, he's not as fresh as Cuadras, so it's, it's a it's a good time to take this fight. And, you know, I expect him to come in and fight, you know, the, the style that we're used to, uh, come forward just with power, and we're ready for that. We, that's what we've been training for, so we're ready to go. What was in your mentality, uh, Jesse, to go in your first defense, particularly at home? And, you know, I'm not saying take on a soft touch, but you probably could have taken on a guy that maybe isn't as decorated as Sir Rungvisai. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like Rungvisai, he deserves his shot. You know, I'm, I'm the one that took his spot when he got sick, so why not um, bring him to San Antonio and defend my title against him? You know, it was kind of a whirlwind the way I looked at it. I mean, here you were, you're, you're fighting a 10-rounder on the undercard, as you mentioned, you uh, are on a matchroom card, but you weren't signed to the promoter at that point. 
Uh, and then all of a sudden you, you get the opportunity, you win the title. Uh, you be, like we mentioned, you're the youngest active champion, first fighter to win a title in the 2000s. Soon thereafter, you sign with Matchroom. Uh, and now here you have your first title defense set up in the hometown. Has, has the last several months since this occurred really been sort of a whirlwind? That's how it seems, at least looking on the outside. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I was, I was actually, um, that was my first fight under Matchroom. Um, I was just supposed to fight a 10-round fight, and then after that, you know, um, get a title shot at hopefully 108 or 112. But like I said, when the opportunity presented itself, I couldn't pass it up. And it's just, dude, ever since I signed with Matchroom, a uh, co-promotion has been a blessing. When you decided to do the fight, uh, to take the opportunity to fight for the title and, uh, and make the switch, uh, I know you're trained uh, by Robert Garcia, one of the great trainers in boxing today. Uh, and he certainly knows uh, what he's looking at when he sees different opponents. I wonder how much uh, of a of a of a part of the decision was Robert's advice and and uh, and and making sure that you were doing the right thing and taking that fight. Um, well, Robert knows the kind of fighter I am. He knows the the way I perform in sparring. I, I, I spar bigger guys, and I you know I do well as a if I'm sparring someone my size. So. When Robert actually got the call, he he asked my dad, and he he already had knew my dad was gonna say yes. He knew I was gonna say yes, so that that just goes to show the confidence he has in my skills and you know uh, his ability to coach. Well, I know this. Uh, I I remember seeing Robert at a fight, got to be five years ago probably, and and he was talking about you back then. This is when you were just you know had single digit fights on, on your record. So he's definitely been a believer for a long time. It seems to me. Um, yeah. You mentioned about. Uh, uh, you know, the fight when you were on the undercard assigned for a certain weight, 110. Um, this fight was obviously, when you won the title, was a fight that was in the in the, in the the 115-pound weight class. So you actually were moving up in weight. Was that at all a factor, or did that come to mind, or was were you not worried about going up a few more pounds? Some fighters, you know, they get real antsy about that when they have to switch divisions and they're fighting the so-called bigger guy. But it seemed like for you, uh, that was not a big deal whatsoever. Yeah, um, the, the weight was never a problem because... Uh, when I got the call, I was weighing about 120, so I only had to lose five pounds instead of 10. So, the like I said, the, the weight wasn't a problem at all. And like I said earlier, I always far bigger guys, so I'm, I'm used to just being in the ring with you know someone bigger than me. Well, I guess if you only have to lose five, that's a lot, uh, a lot, a lot easier, relatively speaking, than losing 10. You probably liked the idea of fighting heavier, didn't you? Yeah, of course. Um, I had no problem uh, fighting at 115. Talking about Robert, as we mentioned before. He also recently became the uh, the new trainer for the former heavyweight champion uh, uh, Anthony Joshua, who's getting ready for a rematch later this summer uh, against Alexander Usyk, and uh, you know a very important fight for his career. Uh, but when when Robert made the deal to uh, to take on Anthony Joshua, uh, and I know he's excited about doing that, but you know he made sure to make uh, part of that deal the ability that when he had his other champions and other top guys in fights, he would be able to have some days where he could leave the camp to go be with the other fighter. And I believe you are the first one that he's going to have to, you know, use that with. So he will leave the Joshua training camp for a few days to make sure that he's with you on fight night. I know you're dealing with his other folks in the gym. Um, how, how does that make you feel that he, when he's making a deal to be in like the camp of like a big mega heavyweight fight, that he's making sure that he's going to have his younger, smaller, maybe not as known guys uh, still yeah. a, a priority for him in his in, in what he does. How how big of a deal was that for you that he would, you know, put you and others first, uh, you know, while he's making that that business arrangement? Yeah, of course. Um, Robert making that decision it means everything to me. Um, like you said, to leave a camp like Anthony Joshua's to come to my site and you know be in my corner that that means a lot. And I just, I mean. That that just goes to show, you know, how uh, Robert he doesn't only care about us as fighters, but you know, outside of the ring as well. And so, while he's been uh, working with Joshua, who's been sort of overseeing your your training? Because I know he'll be there, uh, you know, in the days leading up to the fight, but not in the in the waning days of the camp. Um, I've been training with his son Robert Garcia Jr. and uh, the other helper we have here, uh, Jose Contreras uh, Chepe. We I've been working with those two, and it's going very well. Um, I've been working with them since I was 15 years old as an amateur. So, you know, they already know how I am. I know how they are. And the chemistry is just, it just flows. And there won't be any issues of like reintegrating Robert when he comes back to the fight in San Antonio after not having been in the camp for a while. Of course not. Um, Robert, he left the game plan with uh, Robert and with Pita and Chepe. So that's what we've been working on. And so whenever we get back to Robert, it's in a, everything's in a flow. Now your weight class that you're in, that you have a title in now, 
has for the last several years really been one of the most exciting and best weight classes in boxing, in my opinion anyway. Uh, you know, maybe not the most mainstream, but if you're a diehard fan, uh, you know that the guys that uh, the junior bantamweight or super flyweight, whatever you choose to call it, are going to deliver a lot of great action. And, and as I mentioned earlier, the big four that have done that for a long time and all fought each other in huge battles, Quadras, Sai, Juan Francisco Estrada, and of course the great Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. You obviously are the next generation of those guys. All the four men I mentioned, including your opponent on Saturday, they're getting up there in age a little bit. You know, they're not going to be around, I don't think, for a whole lot longer. Do you feel like you are spearheading sort of the new uh, look of this weight class and, and want to put yourself in that position as being like now an attraction in that weight class, a guy that can bring fans and make exciting fights? Of course. Um, I feel like, you know, I already have a good following. Uh, I'm only 22 years old. I have 15 fights and, you know, I have a pretty good following. And like you said, the, the four kings already took out one of them. So uh, on June 25th, I plan on taking out another. And that, that's when, you know, other fighters can step in and take over. Well, you mentioned about taking out uh, one of those uh, small so-called four kings. You have an opportunity to take out a second one in the fight uh, coming up. Uh, but your brother, Joshua Franco, is in your same weight class. He holds the WBA's regular version of this title. He's taking yeah. on Estrada. Now, I know they don't have a date 100% settled as far as I'm aware, but they did the purse bid and they made the deals and everything. So, you know, Estrada is the super champion and your brother is the regular champion. But the point is, he's fighting one of those other four kings. What, when you look at that kind of matchup, what do you, I mean, you've done your job so far. What do you, what do you think about his opportunity to take on a similarly very tough guy who's been around, a veteran, and you know been a tremendous champion. A guy who I, uh, in a, in a column this week, actually wrote that among all the active fighters, he was one of the ten guys I picked that said should has already done enough to become a Hall of Famer. Yeah, um, Estrada. Uh, Estrada versus my brother is a, is a really good fight. It's a big opportunity for my brother, um, the biggest fight of my brother's of my brother's career for sure. So for that fight to happen, it, it means everything. My brother's been itching for that starter fight, and for it to finally uh, come into play, it, it means everything to not only me but to him as well. And on paper, I feel like starter is the he's a you know he's the best fighter at one fifteen. But my, I, I feel like my brother is very underrated, mm-hmm. and he's gonna shock a lot. He's gonna shock a lot of people whenever they do fight. Now I know at at one point before everything was finalized with your match coming up and what they were going to do about uh, the purse bid with his fight with Estrada. Eddie Hearn from Matchroom, there had been some conversation that maybe uh, there'd be the opportunity for you and your brother to have your fights on the same card together in San Antonio and make it like a double homecoming. Um, yeah. Were you kind of disappointed that didn't happen, or you understand that you know you have your career and your business to deal with, and, and likewise with, uh, with Joshua? It, it was a little disappointing, I'm not going to lie, because um, me and my brother, we were both motivated for that opportunity. But whenever it fell through, I mean, I, I still had to come back to camp and train. I mean, my my brother has his, has his thing going on, but um, he's going to get his opportunity for sure. And, you know, I, I can't wait for it. Now, I lived through the Klitschko era, and they talked about this a lot. We're in the Charlotte era. They've talked about it. They're brothers, twin brothers. Uh, Vladimir and Vitaly spoke about it many times that they would never fight each other. They're, they're, they promised their mother. Uh, the Charlos are twins. Obviously, they're never going to fight each other. I'm sure you've been asked, but I have to. I, I wouldn't be doing my job, Jesse, since this is the first time we've ever done an interview. Uh, would there ever be a time or a, a scenario in which you and your brother, same weight class, both young, excellent fighters, could see a reason to get in the ring and, and do it for real? Uh, I wouldn't be able to, man. I, I, I mean, I love my brother so much. I, even in sparring, I, I don't want to hit him hard, so I can't even imagine a fight. So that that that's out of the picture. But but not uh not out of the picture would be the uh, the possibility of being on the same card. I would think that would be a lot of pressure, but also very exciting. To share the same card? Yeah. Of course. Um, that's always been a dream of ours. I mean, especially to both be world champions, defending our titles on the same card. It w- it would mean everything to. Uh, me, my family, my brother, it would mean everything to us. So when if it ever does happen, it's, it's going to be big. And I'll wrap up with this, Jesse. Uh, you know, you have what appears on paper anyway to be an awfully tough assignment with a veteran champion like uh, Sarongi Sai uh, coming up. Uh, he's um, beaten a lot of top-quality fighters. He's been stopped twice in his career, but it's you got to go back <laughs> literally to the first and second fights of his professional career since he's been knocked out. Yeah. So that was when he was a novice, and anybody that's followed his career knows that uh, you know he he was just sort of thrown in early on. Um, do you think you can stop him at his age and and you know your youth and 
and his, uh, uh, you know, like the wars he's been in, that sort of thing. And he also hasn't been the most active guy. He's going to be coming off of a layoff of more than a year, about 15 months when he takes uh, uh, this fight. Uh, what are your thoughts on how the fight goes? It's going to be a, a tough fight. I know that for sure. But, you know, we, we have a game plan and we've been working on that. We've been, we've been perfecting it. And I believe I can't stop him, uh, given my youth and the wars he's been in. He's, he's already, you know, a little older. So, you know, I feel like this is the perfect time to take this fight. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if I do stop him around, you know, around seven or eight or nine. A bold statement for a man that hasn't been stopped since his professional uh, debut and his second professional fight. And that's a long time ago, by the way, 2009 for the people that have, uh, are not aware how long this guy's been around. I wish you the best of luck in your fight, Jesse. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. And, and, uh, and I hope you have a, have a great time performing in front of the hometown. I appreciate you, Dan. Great job again, as always. This is why people need to be subscribing here, not just for the Big Fight Weekend preview podcast, but all of the content uh, from Dan, because from time to time, whether it's Errol Spence or Oscar De La Hoya, who you've talked to before, Joe Smith Jr., you talked to before one-on-one exclusively. Here you got Bam Rodriguez exclusively the week before this showdown. And let's talk more because that that name, the fighter that he's fighting, Srika uh, Set Sorung Visai, if I got it right, correct my tie if I got it wrong, uh, he's a former world champion, and he was supposed to be the main event fighter back three, four months ago, but he had COVID-19 and had to pull out, and that's where Bam, as you interviewed him and talked to him, swooped in. What a great storyline. He takes Sorong Visai's place and wins, and now the next fight is with Sorong Visai. Tell me more about that. Oh, no, it's fantastic. I mean, look, if, you're, if you follow boxing, one of, the best, one of the best weight classes for action fights and for uh, rivalries over the last number of years has been in the 115-pound division, super flyweight, junior bantamweight. It's been Sorungi Sai, Chocolatito Gonzalez, Juan Francisco Estrada, and Carlos Quadras. They've all been champions. They've all fought each other. You know, it's like I, I refer to it as like our uh, uh, junior bantamweight uh, four kings of this era because they've all fought each other. Um, Roman Gonzalez is going in the Hall of Fame. Estrada is a probable Hall of Famer. Sorungi Sai is maybe a borderline Hall of Famer. Uh, I mean, they're, they've been in tremendous battles. So as you mentioned, you know, here you have a kid, Jesse Bam Rodriguez from San Antonio. He's fighting in his hometown. By the way, the brother of Joshua Franco, who right. is the WBA's regular junior bantamweight champion. In any event, he was supposed to fight on a, on a 10-rounder on the undercard, as he talked about in the interview, uh, on that uh, Sarangi Sai Quadras fight. And when, when he got sick, they called his name. He moved up in weight. Uh, him, him and his team were very confident. They took the fight. And as we discussed, he won the title, and now he's in his first defense. And uh, he is an outstanding young fighter. Uh, in the Robert Garcia stable, and, uh, you know, it should be a great show. I love what you were talking to him about, that you covered the Klitschko's with their brothers. You covered the Charlo's, obviously, and now here we come around to Bam and his brother Franco and the whole question about, are you going to fight your brother? I cover both of you. I'm not making you out to be old. I'm just saying you have perspective. You have perspective. Yeah, perspective. Perspective is a good way to put that on the podcast, right? Well, the funny thing I said to him, and and, uh, the people who listen to it, you know, I told him that. I said, so that was actually my, I had met Jesse before, but it's, it was really our first ever time at an interview uh, situation. So I said, forgive me. I'm sure you've been asked this, but because it's our first interview, I mu- I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, the question I'm sure you've been asked before, would you fight your brother? And, you know, he gave a funny response to it that people can listen to, but uh, he's a, he's a good young fighter and uh, he's got a bright future and uh, he's fighting uh, in my estimation, like I said, a borderline hall of famer and a, just an outstanding fighter, a little old now, uh, you know, coming off a longer layoff, but that that's when you take Carlos Quadras on short notice and then you agree to fight Sarangavasai in your first defense, that's the kind of fighter that's my kind of guy. Well, and he is no fear. shown. No fear. Well, and he and he is shown because he dominated uh, Quadras. He's got big time talent. Now, now again, this is a veteran fighter that dismantled uh Chocolatito a couple of times. Let's well, see. Let's time see out. Time out. Yeah dismantled him once in a big knockout, got a gift decision in a fantastic battle in the first fight, my opinion. All right. Fair enough. That was the second, the the second too, one was more the dismantling. He beat him back. That was the devastating knockout was yeah. the second one. Yeah. I mean, I still I still can't believe when I think about that, you know, I was at that fight, at both of them. But when he when he knocked him out in the second fight, you could really like hear, I mean, you could hear like a pin drop there because people were so shocked by that result. And again, that's coming next weekend. It is part of a quadruple header that we'll talk about more next weekend uh, as part of the Big Fight Weekend preview in San Antonio, Texas, which is Bam's backyard. 
Uh, I still don't want to accept we got a world champion that was born in the 2000s because <laughs> it just makes us feel we have perspective. There's my word again. We have perspective. We're not just old. he is the first ever at least male world champion. Uh, Jesse Rodriguez, that is born in the 2000s. It's crazy. Uh, we got NFL you know, players born in the 2000s. We got Major League Baseball enough, players born in the 2000s. We just got to accept this. We got to accept DJ old enough to be our son. Don't say that. I was ready to move on, uh, especially when I'm covering games and it's and it's NFL players' sons that I used to root for and grow up and watch, and I'm now covering and interviewing their sons. How do you I think do I NFL feel when I write about guys like Shane Mosley Jr.? Correct. Guys that are Tim Zhu, the son of I've Costa Zhu. Tim Zhu. I yeah. covered his father, Shane Mosley. I, I I wrote about uh, you know he's not fighting anymore, but Buddy McGirt Jr. Uh -huh. uh, you know Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Although his father was retired, I, I didn't cover his fights, but I wrote a little bit about him at the very end of Senior's career, so I don't really count that one. Right. But there's been several at this point. We have perspective. That's our word for the preview podcast. Stand by, my friend. We are getting in the preview business of Better Bev and Smith. That is the light heavyweight unification showdown in New York. Dan will be there. We'll talk more about it momentarily. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. We are back in once more. Always love the insights that Dan Rayfield brings as well with me from Big Fight Weekend. Follow Dan. Uh, via the Substack, Fight Freaks Unite. When this weekend is over, again, he will be in New York at the Hulu Theater. We'll come back in with a Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast right here on this feed. So be subscribing here. Uh, first time that I will also make mention, no matter when you're hearing us, but if you're hearing us in advance of Friday at 1 Eastern time, Mr. Rayfield on a heater right now with his boxing gambling picks on the BetUS boxing show that we do for the BetUS folks. The BetUS app, BetUS TV, that show is live Fridays at 1 Eastern time. You can obviously watch it later via the BetUS.com website or the BetUS TV channels, YouTube channel, etc. Dan is 7-1, including 3-0 last week on his picks. Again, you got me on the disagreement on the Dubois under over by about 30 seconds, but it counts. Dubois' knockout was an over three and a half rounds. So Dan is rolling. Check it out. BetUS TV, the BetUS YouTube channel. And even if you don't see it live at 1 Eastern time, you can see it later on Friday or on Saturday leading into the fights. And that leads us to where you are headed in New York for Better B. Evan Smith. As we release the podcast, they met with the media on Thursday. The Russian is obviously favored. We've got kind of the local regional angle with Joe Smith fighting kind of in his backyard, a Long Island guy. Uh, a former world title challenger who has now gotten the WBO belt and has, has even defended it. All right. What do you make of this in the preview mode here for better be Evan Smith for three of the light heavyweight world titles? First of all, I think this is just one of the best fights you can make in boxing. That was doable. Just a tremendous fight between two guys who are exciting to watch, who want to fight top guys who come forward, who are good boxers and aren't necessarily defensively deficient, but they like to stand there and, and, and have a fight. Uh, and uh, I expect that when we see them in the ring on Saturday, a high stakes, uh, both guys wanted this match. It wasn't like they tried to get away from it or anything like that. I know that Joe being from Long Island will have the bulk of the fans there in the arena. Um, in the, in the case of better be of though, he has lived and fought his entire professional career. I know he, he represented Russia in the Olympics many years ago. He, in essence, he's Canadian. I mean, he lives in Montreal. He's lived there now for a long time. It's not a long trip to come from Montreal down to New York City. I do think there will be some of his fans that make that trip down the uh, Adirondack Northway in my old stomping grounds where I grew up uh, that may come down and see that fight. Uh, so I, I think of him as Canadian these days. Uh, but it's just a great matchup, man. I mean, it's high stakes, as you mentioned, three of the world titles, uh, both offensive-minded but are, are competent fighters. I mean, Better Beav has a high pedigree as an amateur, as a two-time Olympian. Um, he's the only fighter, by the way, in boxing today who has won all of his fights by knockout, a perfect record. Uh, you know, nobody has gone the distance, 17-0 uh, with 17 knockouts. And I was at the fight uh, several years ago in uh, Fresno, California, when he won the world title, the vacant IBF title against Enrico Coling. And he didn't really look great that night. It kept, the fight kept going, kept going, and it was getting into the late rounds. And meanwhile, he'd been just destroying everybody. And that fight was getting on, and we're sort of like, oh, wow, like the streak is going to end. He got him in the 12th round and kept it alive. Um, and he's just a devastating puncher. He, he just 
absolutely destroyed uh, a comp, a good quality fighter in Marcus Brown in December in his most recent fight. But Joe Smith has had great competition over the years. Um, he did lose a world title fight against Dimitri Bivol, uh, a fight when I actually went back and rewatched some of it the other night and uh, where the moment at the end of the uh, uh, 10th or 11th round where he had uh, uh, end of the 10th round, I believe it was where, where Joe on the, like on the bell landed a massive shot and mm -hmm. Bivol was like doing the, the, the chicken dance on the way back to the corner, had a grab onto the rope. Uh, as Joe said in the interview, we played on the big fight uh, podcast last week. If he had 10 more seconds, he would have been the world champion back then because he would have ended Bivol that night. He just ran out of time. Um, but he's real experienced. He knocked Bernard Hopkins out of the ring, obviously, in what was Bernard's final fight. This is a quality, quality fight, hard hitting. I think most people expect uh, some kind of uh, excitement, some kind of knockout. I mean, I, I'm thrilled to go back to New York. Haven't been there since the pandemic. Um, I'm totally pumped. You will be ringside at the Hulu Theater. Does it surprise you? Here we get into the odds, and we'll talk more again on the Bet US show about this. But does it surprise you that Better BF, as the betting favorite, is a seven to one favorite, minus 700? Joe Smith, as the underdog, is plus 450. So the odds makers think this is supposed to be a Better BF win. Maybe they're looking at those knockouts against championship caliber competition, and that's what has it. Does it surprise you that it's that big of a, of a seven to one favorite for Better BF? You know, I'm not at all surprised that Better Beav is the favorite. He really should be, and that's no disrespect to Joe Smith. But the fact that it's that wide did a little bit surprise me. I'm not saying it's like an even money kind of fight necessarily. I get it that that he is the favorite. Uh, but, you know, when they set the odds, they want even money to come in on both sides, so they have to set it at a level that they can bring in on both sides. So I kind of get that. Sure. Better Beav is the guy that people are picking. But, I mean, not that I – I'm a big gambler and that I would, would put money on a guy that big of a, of a, of an underdog. But if you want to make money and we'll talk about it on the, on the show tomorrow, you know, the Friday, uh, the bet us show, if you're going to go and maybe put a few bucks on the underdog, this seems like an appropriate spot to do that because the numbers are really good in your favor if he wins. And it's not like it's not a winnable fight. Interesting uh, that for the straight knockout prop here, that better BF is minus 275. So that's better than just picking him to be the winner. The right. decision prop, if it were to go the decision route and better BF were to win by decision, is plus 400. If you think Smith can hang in and take his big punch or not. And the over under at about eight and a half rounds. So we'll have a lot of debate on that. I think this is a better BF victory here. Uh, you know, full full credit to Joe Smith, who's come up the hard way. Is Joe still working his uh, his landscaping company and his landscaping job, or has he made enough in his last couple of championship fights where he can let the employees do that? And he's now like able to just concentrate I think he on works, that's, what's what's going he, on with that? I think he works with his tree his tree company. Right. Uh, and lets people do it. But I think he enjoys it. So maybe he does it a little bit on his, you know, just for the heck of it. I got to come supervise the business. But here's the thing, though, about Joe. I mean, he's been in some really tough fights against really quality opponents. And I'm talking about, as we mentioned, Bernard, Bernard Hopkins, Dimitri Bivol, Jesse Hart, uh, uh, Lydia Storm Alvarez. Vlasov was a tough fight. Sullivan Barrera, Fonfar, who he wiped out in one round. Point is, he's got a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. He hasn't been stopped since a million years ago. I mean, it was when he was still a novice professional. It was a fourth-round knockout back in 2010. You're talking right. about 12 years ago. So I know that, that people think he's more susceptible, but he's taken some good shots from good quality guys. He's fought better competition overall in terms of his professional career than better BF has, who's got the win against Marcus Brown, who's a, that's a good victory for him, who's got the knockout victory against Callum Johnson, but Callum Johnson had him on the floor and almost had him out early, and they had a shootout that lasted four rounds. And 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 he doesn't have that, that super level of opposition. The one top-notch guy that he did fight, and he did get the knockout against, which is a terrific fight in a unification, was when he uh, basically sent Alexander Wojcik into retirement. Yeah, but... but but Vozik and Marcus Brown and Callum Johnson, I'm not sure if they're better if you combine the three of them to the level of guys that, that Joe has fought, even if it was an older Hopkins plus uh, the other other top guys he fought, a Barrera and, and, and other fighters. Uh, you know, Cal, um, Fonfara even at that time was a, considered a top-level contender. So Joe, you know, he's taken on very solid, tough guys. Jesse Hart and Lydia Alvarez are good, solid guys. And by the way, Dimitri Bivol, who he heard hurt twice in that fight. All right. And again, this is the top ranked boxing ESPN main event coming Saturday night. Real quick, a thought on the co-feature fight 
which is intriguing as well. Robisi Ramirez and uh, Abraham Supernova in a featherweight battle. Uh, Ramirez, a former Cuban uh, gold medalist in the Olympics. Supernova unbeaten in 21 fights with 18 knockouts. That is a very, on paper, entertaining co-feature, it looks like, on top rank as well, real quick. Yeah, no, that's an interesting fight. Uh, Robisi Ramirez, a two-time gold medalist. Um, I've seen him fight a number, you know, I think all of his professional fights. Uh, depends on the kind of guy in front of him. Sometimes he can bore you to death. Other times he's very dynamic. Uh, remains to be seen what's going to happen here. But, you know, Nova uh, is a guy I have followed for a number of years. He, you know, he hasn't gotten big profile fights just yet. This is probably the biggest one. But I follow him closely because he's from where I was born, which is Albany, New York. So anytime there's a local guy, you got to at least pay, pay attention like and check in on him. You know, exactly. Uh, but he's... Uh, He's stepping up. He was a good amateur also, not as good as, as uh, Robisi Ramirez was. But this is like, a, you know, Robisi, Robisi has got that, that monster amateur background, and that's hard to overcome, I think. He's but, minus uh, 500 on the BetUS line, 5-1 yeah. to one to win, Supernova plus 350, 3.5-1 to one underdog, even though he's unbeaten with more professional victories. Again, I know you constantly preach who are the wins against. Right. But still, he's got 21 wins. Interesting he's that much of an underdog. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, and Robesy lost his professional debut, which was very debilitating at the time. He did get the revenge uh, down the road, you know, a few fights later. Um, in these types of situations, though, seeing that Robesy has sort of changed uh, his team and, and has looked, you know, and won pretty handily since that, that, that professional debut, I'm always one to lean towards the guy with that monster amateur background that have that muscle memory, that, that, that well that they can draw on. Um, I just hope, you know, I got no dog in the fight. I mean, I, you know, if my hometown, if my hometown guy wins, that's cool. <laughs> if he doesn't, so be it. But, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that these guys will come to fight and we'll have an entertainment, uh, an entertainment bout in that fight. That's what we want for the co-feature and then better be Evan Smith will come off. And that's a great event. fight right there. Yep, We're looking forward to that. All right. Just real quick. We got to go in a second. What, what are you anxious? Are you going to get a slice of pizza somewhere or something in, in and around the Hulu theater? You got to have something. I mean, you're gonna, you you got you got a place, you got a spot that you're going to hit before you're at the Hulu Theater Saturday night, real quick. You can't go to New York and not have a slice of pizza. And by the way, where we stay in the fight hotel, there are probably like three places that are within like a block walking. There's one that's across the street. So you don't have to worry about the pizza situation right. in New York City. I got I you. I expect some kind of photograph on social media at some point uh, for that to make the rest of us jealous on some New York City pie. On that, excellent job with the Bam Rodriguez interview. Again, his title fight is next weekend in San Antonio. It's better be Evan Smith. Dan will be covering it as part of our coverage on Big Fight Weekend. Thank you for helping preview it here, Dan. Be safe. Have a great time in New York. We look forward to reading all about it with your recap, et cetera, and then recapping it with us on the Fight Freaks Unite recap after better be Evan Smith is over. Dan, thank you. Have a great weekend. You too, TJ. Looking forward to the fights. And again, we thank all of you for finding us. Follow or subscribe this podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts to get all the coverage. Again, we'll come back in with the Fight Freaks Unite recap off the weekend. For now, we're good on the Big Fight Weekend preview. Enjoy Better BF Smith Saturday night, New York. Top-ranked ESPN main event. Lots of light heavyweight titles on the line. And we've been previewing it here on the Big Fight Weekend preview. Bye.